This podcast is supported by an educational grant from CMR Surgical Limited. To learn more about CMR Surgical, please visit cmrsurgical.com. Welcome to Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a bi-weekly podcast in collaboration with the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, focusing on expert interviews that explore the insights, habits, and expertise of individuals both in and outside of medicine. My name is Dr. Kara King, and I am your host. Hello, Team Unscrubbed. Welcome back. It's been a little hot minute here, but we are home and ready to rock. We are incredibly lucky to have Dr. Murray Trong on our episode today. Murray is currently out at Cedar sinai in LA and serves as their program director of their MIGS Fellowship, as well as a director of their simulation center. She's truly a master surgical educator and has created an absolutely incredible website for all things GynSim. We will make sure to include that link in our show notes today. In today's episode, Marie talks about her journey from fellowship into her first attending job and how she knew it was time to make the move from Virginia out to LA. Marie also opens up about her transition into motherhood in a really vulnerable and truly powerful way. She talks about how she faced postpartum depression and how she really built an incredible tribe around her. As always, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy. So I am extremely excited to have my near and dear friend, Dr. Mireille Trong, on our show today. Thank you so much for joining us, Mireille. You're coming in from the beautiful Los Angeles. Yes, of course. Thank you, Kara, for having me here. So excited. I know we may have just cut up for like an hour before we even started recording. I haven't seen you in so long. I'm so excited to see your face. Maybe that would have been a more interesting conversation. (laughs) I can guarantee it would have been. Yes, maybe we should push record 45 minutes ago. It's very true. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have so many things that I want to talk to you about, but I want to start out by talking about some of the huge transitions that you've had in your life over the past five years. You have gotten married to your wonderful husband, Alex, which I was at that wedding. It was amazing. I was pregnant. So I do remember the entire thing and it was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And then you were in Virginia for a while and then you made the jump out to Los Angeles at Cedar sinai Can you talk to me about that transition? Meaning, when did you start looking for another job and when did you know that it was time to look for another job? Yeah, it's definitely challenging and a struggle. You know, it's always bittersweet when you're either thinking about leaving a place or moving on to a different part of your career, right? So I had been at in Virginia for about four years as the sole minimally invasive gynecologic surgeon there. And, you know, for me, I was re-looking at just like the goals that I wanted to, because I think it's so different, so different when you first graduate from like residency or even fellowship and going into being an attending, nevertheless, like building like a mixed program and um, just learning everything as an attending. It's a huge learning curve. And I think your goals are just very very different at that time when you first come out from fellowship. I think we're so used to just when you're done with training, it's so hard to make those goals because, you know, we're so used to having a defined amount of time where you're just going to be done, right? You know, you went, you went to medical school, it's done in four years. You went to residency, it's done in four years. You go fellowship, it's either done in two or three years, right? And so you're like, okay, I have these goals for this defined amount of time. But now you're out as an attending and you're like, now just, there's just an infinite amount of time 
Now you're like, <laughs> you've made it. You're an attending, right? Right. And so I think that is kind of what you like the struggle, right? And I think, you know, coming out my first year, I was super ambitious and I wanted to do everything, like all my goals in like one year, <laughs> you right. know, because we're so used to doing that. And slowly, like, I think I started to learn, like, okay, I remember you know, one of my makes my mentors being like, just focus on one thing when you come out, just focus on just one thing. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. Right. And <laughs> yes. And like 10 other things. And I realized how valuable that piece of advice is. And I know it's just so hard, but I think making short-term goals and long-term goals when you come out as an attending kind of helps, or at least it helped me kind of direct where I was going and watching where you go in your career, right? So I think for me, I wanted to, I was really into education. And, and I mean, I still am. And what I wanted to was really to develop that part of my career. And VCU was like the best place for it because their focus is so much on med ed, like education, uh, which is why I love like that place. That's where I wanted to go after because like that was really special to me. And they also had a simulation center. And so that was really what became my focus, right? And I became like the simulation specialist there in our department and build, a, you know, a huge simulation curriculum in gynecologic surgery for the residents. And that was really my focus. And I was able to get my medical education certificate there. And it was great because this is something that VC was really focused on is faculty development in education. And so I got to like do this training with people from so many different specialties and backgrounds and disciplines. And that was just like one of like kind of the best experiences. And, and so I definitely focus on that. And then as I transitioned, you know, one of my other big goals is to build a fellowship, a mainly-based gynecologic surgery fellowship. And that was one of my big goals. You know, I was trying to map it out. And I think that for me, being the only MIG surgeon there coming straight out of fellowship, it's not an easy task. Like, I, I think that... I don't think I would have done it differently because I definitely grew so much from that and learned so much, but it was, I'm not going to lie, super challenging, you know, and uh, I know there's a lot of MIGS fellows that are going to be graduating, going to similar situations, but, you know, if you're listening, you're one of those, like, don't feel like you're alone because I think that when you come out, you're so used to having all this support and like you come from a place where there's natural referrals already in this big huge program and you're like you think that that is like the norm but you know when i kind of the challenges i went through like think through this being attending building a program and like teaching and learning myself i talked to a lot of people like i shared my story i talked to a lot of people and i found out even from my mentors like oh no it used to not be this way like we also had challenges we also like right. ran to trying to prove your value in the specialty that we're in. And, you know, then it made me realize, oh, okay, like I'm not alone. Like a lot of people walked this path before. And this is, you know, part of why I did fellowship is to like expand on invasive gynecologic surgery and expand access. And um, that's like the work. So keeping that kind of perspective 
throughout the whole time I was there was kind of what kind of also motivated me in addition to like education, the simulation. And then there's a part where I was like, okay, how do I expand my skills? And how do I get to this goal of, again, like my main goals, like expand mental ways of gynecology, like teach and, you know, and so I, and that's one of the ways that I felt like I could contribute to this vision is to build a fellowship. And I think that that's when I started trying to figure out how this is going to happen. And for me, I had a certain timeline in my mind that I wanted this to happen. And I felt like where I was, it wasn't the right time or the right place. And that's okay. Like, I think every institution has different visions, different goals, and that is totally okay. This is something that I always kind of believed in. If your goals and vision don't match where you're at, it's not because one per, one side is better than the other or worse than the other. It's just that they don't align and it's okay. And so once I, you know, thought through that, that's when I started thinking, okay, maybe like, so one, how do I accomplish this goal if I'm not going somewhere else, right? Like, how do I continue to build on this like vision that I have, right? So then I expanded to like a private community practice in addition to the academic practice, helped be, uh, build a multidisciplinary practice with like urology, colorectal and pelvic physical therapy and started getting like referrals that were more specific to um, what I wanted to do, like endometriosis and fibroids and things like that, right? And that's how I was like, okay, I'm going to put in like 200% and see where the needle moves, right? And honestly, I wasn't looking necessarily to transition <laughs> yeah. um, at the time, honestly. But this opportunity came up and Cedars called me and I was like, okay, maybe I'll consider it. And I, I think um, some of the, some opportunities had come up earlier on, but I don't think I was ready like at two years. I was like, you know what? I don't feel like I've invested enough time where I am. And so I was like, no, I'm just going to stay. And then it came up another and then the Cedars opportunity came up years later. And I was like, oh, this is like matching with like my vision and my goal. And, um, you know, I have been practicing for four years, essentially by myself. And, you know, as much as of a learning curve and like growth you get from that, it is super challenging, right? Because, you know, you I think as a new attending, everyone needs still some coaching or mentoring to just get you over that kind of steep learning curve after you graduate is totally different. So I think that I felt like I needed a little bit more support and I would really want partners. And I felt like I was still a long ways away from being able to get a partner where I was at in that situation. And I was still, you know, still very junior. And so I think that was, it's just normal. Like, I mean, obviously it takes time to build like a practice and a program, but I wanted, I needed, for me, I wanted to be a little more accelerated. So I think some of those came into play, those thoughts came into play. And actually it took me a really long time to want to leave because my family is in Virginia, my husband's family is in Virginia, and many, many of my like close friends, college friends are also in Virginia. So we had a huge like personal network and life there that that was also something like that was very that kept me there and something to consider for sure. Like I couldn't just pick up and go, you know, we had a house. And, right. um, so I think I, 
I really debated for a really long time before, before thinking about, okay, I think this is time to transition. And also, I think it helps that my husband also was looking to transition and wanted to expand on his career as well. And I think this all aligned. <laughs> I did yeah. a lot of writing, journaling, meditation. <laughs> and um, actually, I, I remember speaking to a lot of friends like yourself. <laughs> and I read a lot of books. <laughs> and um, that's what really like kind of tipped it over the edge for me was just being able to understand for myself that this is what I needed to take the next step in my career. I love it. And it's been such a good good fit overall. Now, I want to dive in a little bit about the goal setting that you're talking about, right? So looking at your own goals and seeing if that aligns with the vision of your department or your section, how do you create your goals? Meaning, is this something that you do on your own? Do you have some type of self-reflective process to get there? Do you have a coach? Do you have a tribe that you talk with? Because sometimes finding the space to have this like true reflective process to know your goals for one year, five years, 10 years can be difficult to find. How, how does that process look for you? Oh yeah. It's like all of that. And sometimes <laughs> it's really messy and sometimes you have <laughs> no idea. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah. I, I'm going to go. Well, one thing that, um, you know, always helps me is that you can set goals, but they're not, you know, necessarily set in stone and they evolve and they change. And it's never, it never, I think, turns out in the process that you imagine it. And, oh, yeah. you know, I practice a lot of yoga. And so, you know, how at the beginning you set your intention. So it's actually very different from a goal because it's more of like the essence of what you want to carry through and how you approach everything. And so I think what I mean setting goals is that trying to figure out for yourself, like, what is the intention? Like, how do you want to approach, like, your career? How do you want to approach your life? And then that kind of guides you into your goal. I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits, and they talk about how setting goals is you need to set goals, but you need to also come take a step back into the system like of how you make small steps to work towards not like your goal, but how you approach your goal, right? And yes, so that's I good. think, so I know it's like kind of like a roundabout way to answer like how you set your goals, but so, but on a more like concrete level, I usually look at, okay, what do I want to do in the next, I kind of do a brainstorming session actually. So I, I actually divide it into pot, like different um, categories, like my personal life, my work life, my career, like my health or fitness and things like that. And I just start writing all the things that I like want to do or want to see happen. Like I just have this big vision board essentially. Yeah. And then it, like, it doesn't matter like what I want, if it's like tomorrow that I want to do it, or if I want to do it in 10 years, I kind of just blurt it all out. And then I, or then I start re then I start organizing it. Like, okay, so what does it look like? Let me pick out three things that I feel like are really important. Like these are the things that I feel are the themes. Like this is a the theme of what's really important. And then from there, then I say, okay, so like in a year, like what are the things that are going to help me move towards these big visions, these three big things? And then I kind of divide it like that. And then, and then I look at five years. Okay. So each 
each year, like what are the big themes that need to happen to be able to get you one step closer to this kind of vision? And then I go through the year and I look at like, like then three months at a time. And then I look at action. So, so another thing that's helped me with this is I've, I've worked with an executive coach, which I feel like everyone should have, um, it gives you such a different perspective on things. And I have an executive coach that's not in the medical field, which has really helped me shift my perspective a little bit. Cause I just feel like we get kind of siloed in. We like, just think about our like medical field and just where we're at. And this really helps like kind of open up the door to other things. But we talk about setting like actionable plans for each part of your like goal or whatever it is at each step of the way or each timeline, because this Atomic Habits book talks about like, what are the small changes on a daily basis or choices that you make on a daily basis is going to get you to like who you want to be, the essence, the intention, right? Not just the goal, but the intention, because it's very like, I, I, something that really resonated with me, like what's, what's the difference of people? Like everyone makes the same goal, right? Everyone wants to be healthy, but we never hear about like why people fail. Like you don't hear about the failures. You only hear about the people who succeed, but why is it that what happened with people who failed and had the same goal, right? But it that's what differentiates you is like those small little incremental habits that you place in there. And it's okay because it's easier. It. It's so so much easier to do. <laughs> right. I love that. And I love the idea of setting an intention more instead of a goal. I've never really thought about that shift before. It makes perfect sense that you do that since you do so much yoga and you're a yoga instructor. And I haven't I often talk about keeping your true north, right? Like why are we doing what we do? And I, I say that a lot to my to my learners is keep your true north. So I, I love I love where your brain's going with that. My question, you're making me think so much. My question is when you're making these vision boards, right? And putting all these different different piles and pods together, are you doing that alone? Are you doing that with with your partner? Are you doing that like early in the morning? Are you doing that late at night after your baby goes to bed? I'm just curious of like your actual framework when that happens. Yeah. So this is always a challenge. And um, you know, something that I've been working on is to just carve out some time to do this either each week or each month because I think we fill up our schedule so much with every second, you know, you're like, okay, I have a nine to 10 meeting. And then I have a 10 to like 11. And then you're like, oh, I have a free block. But then you fill it up. You're like, oh, there's this like one patient. I feel like, yes. real, I, I feel really bad. I need to see this patient and you squeeze it in. And then, then your time is gone. So what I've learned to do now is to put time on my actual schedule that says, do not schedule anything. And that I literally I have, that. I have this and it goes, this is on my work calendar. So it goes out to my scheduler, my assistant. So they know to either ask me or say, oh, this time is blocked. I'm like, yes, because that is my like admin time. That is my thinking time. That is my reflection time. Because without this, I just think that we get burnt out really easily. And then you don't have time to think about what you're doing every day or if you're moving towards your goal or not. And I usually have more energy in the morning, even though I'm not a morning person. So I, um, on those days where I block out the time, it's usually in the morning where I can, I usually take like a hike or a walk right before I do these sessions. 
Um, so like this morning, today is like my end day. And so I took a hike and then I sat down and like did my planning for the, for just thinking, just like reflecting, like, where am I, where am I going? Right. And yeah, so that's, that's when I do it. Well, I feel like I can be most present because when my baby is at daycare, my husband is at work and I'm by myself and I need to think by myself. And then sometimes I'll ask like my friends or like my family, like, Hey, then I share with them like, Oh, this is like one of the things that I really want to start working on. Like, so I think I'm going to do this because then it holds you accountable. I'm like, and then I specific, I've learned this. You have to, if you want someone to help you stay accountable, you have to tell them specifically what they need to do. Like, okay, I really I need you to like, tell me if I'm not doing this specifically, right? Or, you know, I need you to leave my like journal here. Like, don't move it because it helps me to like, I need to like remind myself that I want to write every day when I wake up. So that's, that's kind of my process. At nighttime, I get really just tired. So I do more of a gratitude practice. Yeah. And I think you're saying really important things in that be cognizant of the times of day that you feel like you're thriving the most, right? Some of us thrive early in the morning. Some of us, some of us thrive in the afternoon. And in the past, I've always like triple packed my clinic from 6.30 a.m. So I start my clinic at 6.30 a.m. I like triple pack it till 2.00. And what that helps me do is have a full day, quote unquote, before two. And then I'm like, great, I'll have from three to five for my admin time, right? Quote unquote admin. I am completely <laughs> useless from three to five. Like I literally will sit in my chair and stare at my computer, like my numbed face. And so even though I was quote unquote done at two, I was useless. And so I've completely sw just switched that recently where I still get to work at 6.30 like I did before, but from 6.30 to nine, that is like my time. And I can get more done in two hours then than 10 hours at the end of the day. So I think just being cognizant of that can can pay huge dividends in the end. So I think that's really important, really important information. Thank you. So goals weren't quite align aligning in Virginia. You decide to make the jump to Cedar sinai with our amazing friends, Dr. Seedhoff and Dr. Wright. Talk to me about that transition. Was there anything specifically that was easier or more difficult than you had envisioned in your mind before the move? Um, actually, once I decided to make that transition, it was actually just a really huge relief. It was just, you know, I love hiking. So it's like getting to the summit and then you get to see like over the, like the clouds and the sky and you're like, and you just can breathe, right? Cause it's a lot of stress yeah. to like debate in your head and like yes. talk to people about this, but it was just definitely a relief. Cause I think that once you've made that debate and you've made a decision, I mean, with any decision that I feel like that's how you should feel. And you know, there's no like any like regret either way. And I knew like I was making the, just the right choice for me and my family. And I love like adventure and like new things. And so it was just, I was just really, really excited to come. And I was just so excited to have partners and then, you know, <laughs> even more to work with Dr. Seedock and Dr. Wright. They're just like such amazing human beings. And I just missed having just like colleagues to go hiking with or just talk to or just run things by because for four years, I it was just me. 
you know, and yeah, I talk to people like outside of the, it's just different when you're like working with people and, and then also like with transitions, like I love learning and that always excites me. And so I'm just like, okay, this is like another opportunity to like continue to learn, continue to grow. And that's just super, super exciting. I mean, I was moving from Virginia to Los Angeles, which is two completely different <laughs> places, different coasts, different cities. I mean, I was really excited, but at the same time, I mean, the traffic is completely different and just the unknown of like how life is going to look like you personally, and then just living there. And I'm like, how am I, what is this commute going to look like? Right. <laughs> you know, but yes, um, that was just like a small part, but I don't, I think there's lots of ways to like overcome that. Yeah. Yeah. You were, <laughs> I can, I can completely empathize of what it feels like to have had this debate in, our, in your head. And then once you make the decision, it's like, I can get through anything now. It just feels <laughs> good to have that behind you. Right. And that's such a good analogy about being like on the summit and just feeling like the sun in your face and rejuvenated and inspired again. So that's, that's, that's a feeling that you want to have after you make the decision. So I'm glad yeah. that you had that. No, but it's, it, it also like just confirms that you're making the right decision yes. for yourself, you know? And I, I mean, I think also, to be honest, like I was probably also a little burnt out by just working just like alone. And I mean, I fully acknowledge that, like, it's just, but you know, just for people out there, like you're not alone. And I don't know, maybe I made it look easy, but it's not like I definitely struggled. I had my own battles, like, and it, it was definitely a huge process. And I'm like grateful that for that experience. And yeah, but it's, it's super challenging. <laughs> yes. It's, it's the hard thing to do is to switch jobs sometimes, right? The easy thing to do is just stay where you are. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely can be challenging. So there's a book that I've read before every single big transition in my life. It's called The First 90 Days. Have you ever heard of that or have you ever read that before? No, I haven't read this. I always I always love your book recommendations, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I am like a major self-help person. <laughs> I love it. No, it's so good. Like, you know, I've made more time for stuff like this. And I, I don't know, it just gives you another space to like think, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I was actually, it came to my mind because I was helping a colleague, not, not a physician, one of my PhD colleagues, he just made a move to a new job. And we were just talking about it this last weekend at Sages. But about learning the culture of your new place, right? There's a culture in every place that you go. And for instance, when I moved from Madison to the Cleveland Clinic three years ago, the culture here is just very unique, right? Very unique from the, the last few places I've been. How did you... I guess, feel out that culture or how did you, um, like, how did, how did that feel when you moved from Virginia to, to, to LA? Did it feel different to you? And what type of things did you do to help kind of integrate into that culture after you moved? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. So it's interesting, right? Cause I, after being at VCU for four years, I really, I think when I graduated, I didn't really understand what it was to be able to align your vision and goals with, um, an institution. And I think that's where the challenge was for me. And so when I was leaving, that was one of the things that I really, really was intentional about is wherever I wanted to go, I needed to make sure that the, the values and goals and culture was going to be aligned with what I wanted for myself. And so already in my mind, I already had kind of thought about that whole culture change but something that I felt like was going to be more aligned with for myself. I mean, you know, in Virginia, the 
the diversity, I mean, is is very different. And I was the only, you know, non-white um, faculty when I started. I was female. I was the youngest, one of the youngest faculty members. And I was also like the only mixed person. So I had a lot of, like, there was a lot of unique things that, that I had to kind of just work through on how to, you know, deal with those different parts of my identity. Um, and I didn't know how much that played into my job or my personal life. I didn't really have that just perspective. But after right. going through it and then transitioning, I was, I understood what I needed to be able to grow and to con- as like a person, but also in my career. And by just talking to our chair, Dr. Kirkpatrick, she's an amazing like leader and really focused on also personal develop, like career development for faculty. And that's what I really appreciated about her is that she was very in tune with that. And then also the culture at Cedars is just really, um, I guess, like inclusive and, and welcoming. Um, it also provided a lot of resources, but for both faculty, patients, and trainees in a different way that I hadn't thought about. I think that, you know, Cedars really aligned with the way that I wanted to provide care for my patients. Not that, it, like, I know that every institution, like everybody wants to yeah. give like the best care possible, but it was just in the, it's again, the intention, right? Like the yeah, way that you right. do it, right? It's different. Everyone has the same goal. Like we all want to provide best care, safest care, best outcomes, right? But it was in the way that, that the essence of how they do it where there's like very transparent communication between the leadership and um, the staff and the faculty and also just setting people up for success, right? Yeah, that was beautifully put. It was beautifully put. And I love how these just little micro decisions, right? These micro habits lead to really big impact and the way things feel. And I really loved how you made the statement, right? You have a lot of different identities, right? So you're Vietnamese, right? Yes. Canadian. Canadian. Um, <laughs> hey, hey there. <laughs> My family's all from upstate New York. I can basically say we're Canadian. I'm all French Canadian. <laughs> um, female, right? MIGS physician. You were the only MIGS physician there. So a lot of different identities. And you made the comment that you didn't really feel it when you were in it. Can you expand on that? So like when you were actually in it, were you, was your head just like down first job, just trying to, you know, educate and keep patients alive? Is that why you didn't really feel it? Or is it one of those things that just like once you're out and you look back, you can look, you can see it more. Tell me more about that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, like you said, I didn't really um, feel it when you're in it. And it's also like not being able to, I didn't have a lot of time to reflect, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't understand how like some of these identities played in my interactions um, with like the institution or the department Right. And this is, I mean, I think this is the work that we're doing, right? Yes. And and like DEI work and stuff like that is I didn't really have a space to have these conversations. And I mean, I'm thankful, very grateful for my husband because he does a lot of this work. And honestly, I was so busy that I didn't pay attention to why sometimes I had certain interactions or events that happen. And I, you know, you kind of feel it. Yeah. But you're not exactly sure like how to pinpoint it. You're like, yes. why do I feel this way? And why is it that 
it doesn't necessarily feel right? Or what is it about this interaction that is creating tension? Yes. Right? Is it my experience? Is it my skills? Or is it some part of my identity that's clashing with a different value or perspective or culture? And I mean, this is not just me, like it's, and it's not like specific to the institution. I just think this is like an overall broad thing that happens, right? Yes. And, you know, I mean, to be honest, like I am like basically all of those identities, I was a minority in every single aspect. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have like the space to discuss or to think or awareness, it like, that's why I think I didn't see it until I was until I had left. And also, I think the culture, like maybe where I am now is very different. The contrast is very different. Um, and the conversations are different in ter- in regards to um, diversity, inclusion. Yes, we all have a lot of work and there's, you know, and this is, I mean, there's a very different um, culture in regards to that. And I think this is where, you know, the conversations need to start in these experiences. And that's why, you know, like I want to talk about this and it has nothing to do with like whether one person was better or the other, or just like anything on like the institutions themselves. But it's just, I mean, this is what we're dealing with now. And this is my experience. Like I did feel like a lot of these identities really played into how I was, how I was valued or how I was perceived. And I think it would have been very different if I was maybe more senior or if I was not female right. or, if, or if it was not Vietnamese. Right. Right. So, and yeah, that's, you know, that's the reality of stuff. And I'm just going to say it how it is. <laughs> no, that was beautifully put. I mean, I, what, what you're making me think about are those, is that like gut feeling, right? Sometimes you just walk away from an interaction. And you're like, oh, that felt just a little icky, right? Something didn't feel quite right about that, but you can't put your finger on it. And I think acknowledging that sensation, like that's, that's something real and, and bringing it to the forefront. Right. And I think the work that you're doing is so important here and that not just pushing it down, that just perpetuates it. Right. But bringing it up on platforms like this and leading the charge with diversity and inclusion. So I just applaud the work that you're doing here and it's, and it's uncomfortable and it feels vulnerable, but you're doing a really amazing job here. So thank you. Yeah. I think I, you know, I think one of the things if I had looked back is, just if I was more aware, I think maybe figuring out how to bring it to the forefront or how to have these discussions, right? Because I think sometimes it's just, that's what it is. It's unconscious, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and right. we just don't know. And I think just being able to, like, yeah, I learned from that experience and I'm sharing this experience because I want, you know, other people to hear it because like, hopefully you're not going through it, but if you are, it's maybe it's time to just think about more and how do we how do we talk about it or how do we feel more comfortable talking about it? Yeah, I'm right. definitely super uncomfortable talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and, God, thank but you. But I'm just sharing, you know, I think I'm just sharing my experience <laughs> and everybody has different perspectives and... You're courageous. You are so courageous and brave. Truly, I look to you for all of these things. So thank you. The last huge transition that you just had recently, almost two years old, two years old is baby Nico. How old is Nico now? He's 20, 22 months. So. Oh my goodness. June, right? June, maybe? May. Yeah. 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 Around there. May, like May, June. 
Need you. Yeah, we'll go with that. So talk to me about what it's like to to be a mom. Like, what was that transition like when you delivered Nico? You took some time off. How did that feel? How did I mean you you you've merged this work life, home life, wife life, mom life? Like, talk to us. How is that going? How's that feel? Oh my god, mom surgeon. Doesn't that sound like an oxymoron a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. Oh my god. Well, you know, I had never thought I would ever deliver a baby during the pandemic or have a baby during the pandemic. So Not my heart plan. goes out to all of the mamas out there <laughs> who delivered babies during this pandemic because that is just like a whole nother level of being a mom. And so I feel you and I like so much love for all of you guys because yes. I know like that was not an easy task. No. Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, this isn't a context of like, I just started my job and, and then so much it was a once. pandemic and then we had a baby <laughs> um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So yeah, I like, sometimes I'm at like a loss for words about like what went like through my mind and how I was feeling. It was just, yeah, I not gonna lie super overwhelming you know it was Mm -hmm. super challenging and i know like millions and thousands of like you know just so many people have gone through this and when you have when you're in that situation you sometimes just feel completely alone like you're like oh my gosh like how did people do this or how are people doing this and then i talk to other people and they're like no we're not doing we're just surviving yes (laughs) Yes, exactly right. There's like the social media of what it looks like and there's a reality of what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, I, ooh, you know, I feel like the pandemic really at another level because, you know, we couldn't really have family come. And of course, our family is like across the country. Um, We just moved here. So we didn't have a lot of like, uh, we didn't build up a like a big network yet. Um, and then we were just like isolated in our place and we couldn't see anybody. So I, we watch a lot of YouTube videos on how to take care of baby. So thank you, YouTube. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> thank God. I'm with you. I have two. Yep, every day. I'm on there for something. I was, I was literally like, me and Alex, we'd be sitting like, wait, is that normal? Should we look that up? And <laughs> let me tell you, as an OBGYN, you know nothing about babies. We just Mm-mm. deliver them. We know some things when they're inside of the mom. And then that is it. We pass them <laughs> over and then that's it. So yeah, you would think that an obstetrician would know something about how to take care of a baby. Nope. <laughs> nope. Or breastfeeding. I knew nothing about breastfeeding either. <gasps> oh my gosh. Let's talk about this breastfeeding situation. <laughs> like I honestly wish I had a baby before I became an obstetrician because I just view it so much different. And I'm sorry to all the patients that I've seen you before my baby. Like I, I was just so focused on being a doctor and like checking off like, okay, like making sure the baby's alive and your blood pressure is fine. And then that's it. Right. But being pregnant is way, way more than that. And the breastfeeding. Oh my, I, I don't know. I like, I feel like not enough is out there. And I never talked about breastfeeding with any anybody or I don't know, people don't share these stories. I don't know what it is. Or maybe they do once you're like in it, but it is so, I mean, for me, I know it's a diff- like, honestly, it is a different journey breastfeeding for everyone. You ask anyone and like, it is so different. Like for me, 
so challenging. Like I, yes. it was, I don't know, the challenging part. I mean, no one tells you how hard it is to like learn how to latch the baby. So mm-hmm. I recommend if you, no matter what, how much you know about breastfeeding, I think you need to have like a lactation consult. So like when you're in the hospital, like, cause you're sleep deprived, like you have this new baby, like, and then you're trying to like feed the baby. Ooh, man. A lot going on. After you just had some major either C-section or something blow out of your vagina hole, either option is not <laughs> ideal. It doesn't matter how it comes out. It's not <sighs> ideal. And no one tells you how hard that latching is. And it hurts. I'm like, not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Improper latch hurts so much. I wanted to give up so many times. So many times. It's true. Yeah. I know. I remember my pediatrician told me at one point, he's like, Kara, formula is not arsenic <laughs> because I feel like in our heads, <laughs> yes. it gets to a point where it's like, if I don't give this baby my breast milk, they're just going to perish. They're not going to go to college and they're not going to be able to drive and like all these things. Right? There's so much pressure on ourselves. And I always just say, we got to give each other, we got it. We have to give each other grace, you know, like to find that. But in the moment it feels, it's just, it's a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was so much. I was, okay. So that part and then the part of like okay like how do you manage that with going to work and operating like what do you do i mean thankfully there's like you know the portable wireless pumps but even that it's still really hard i remember like the first time i did it i was morseleading and i bent over and all of the milk came out and for any mom that is like the most devastating it's like yes. really you just want to cry you have hormones going and then you're just <laughs> yes. like oh my gosh like not only my scrubs are just filled with milk I like it's milk like that was like <laughs> four good ounces of milk or how many ounces even one ounce I don't know I, I felt know. like I was on episode of scrubs <laughs> <laughs> it's so stressful I know I hear you talk to me about how do I, I'm trying to think how to ask this question about that transition back. Like you said, like, how do you operate and how do you do this thing at home? What kind of things did you notice during that transition? Whether it be like mood stuff, hormone stuff, building your tribe things. Talk to me about that actual transition of when your maternity leave ended. Yeah. Um, so let me just say those hormones, that is a real thing. I, you know, not having experience prior to that, I was like, okay, like it makes sense. But when you experience, you're like, okay, this is for real. Like no matter how tough of a person you are, that stuff supersedes like your whole body. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anyways. So I feel like that played a lot into like just getting back to work. I mean, I never really understood how people like kind of miss their baby. I'm sorry, I know I sound really ignorant, but like I never understood how people really miss their baby, like what that feels like. But I don't know, you just, I don't know, it just overcomes you. And you just, I, I remember like I got to work and I sat in my office and I like cried for like 15 minutes. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, you don't even know why. You're just like, I'm like, I should feel like I'm like, there's this part of you, you're like, I feel so free. Like, that was the first time I spent time away from the baby and I was like oh my god I feel so free but then I'm so sad <laughs> yes yes all at once I was just like just I was just sitting in my office like oh my gosh <laughs> um but you know what I like talked to a lot of friends and I had just like so many like text messages or just calls being like hey it's gonna be okay like how are you doing are you okay like 
you're, you know, like that first day is really rough. Like, and you're like, oh yeah, thank you for making me feel like it's not, it's like a normal thing that happens to everyone, <laughs> that whole yes. feeling, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, whatever. It's just it, a normal feeling. Yeah. And so that really made me feel like really um, supported. And then I guess like for me, I know like some like I don't know how people go back after six weeks. I, I don't, I really don't. Like if you are going back at six weeks, like honestly, like congratulations and like I don't know how, like I really don't know how people do it and like sending love to all those people because I know I was not ready at six weeks I definitely was not and for just just so many reasons and you know I, this is something like I know a lot of people don't talk about but I had like really like bad postpartum depression which I think like as a medical professional like you know it can happen and you rationalize and you know like logically in your mind that this is potentially happening, but you're like, no, it's okay. Like I can figure it out. Like, it's fine. I'm just, it's not going to last that long. Right. Like you're like, it's normal postpartum blues or postpartum depression. Right. But it really hit me hard. And I didn't know like how bad it was when I was in it, honestly, like it just, and it really impacted like how I interacted with just people around me and um, at work and like how I just approached work also, I think that added another layer. And I, I see people go back to work all the time early. And I, for myself, I could have never imagined that at all. I took, you know, it took 12 weeks or 12 to 16 weeks. So if you have that opportunity, I'm like in California that, you know, maternity leave is pretty good on that, but, um, it's great. You know, and I was, it's so funny because I called my friends from Canada. I'm like, how did you guys manage this breastfeeding thing? Like, um, we don't because we have a year off. And I'm like, oh, they don't right. have to pump. I was yes. Like, I was like, oh, right. Because I was asking them about advice on how to pump and like all this. They're like, yeah, we didn't have to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I first learned that when we went to Vancouver, right? Because my baby was like, three weeks old or something remember which, yeah. which one was it it was Gus there and I was in one of the rooms pumping and they were like what is that thing <laughs> and I was like it's a pump they're like we don't have to do that I was like you don't that's amazing it's just right. interesting yeah different, so it's really different different norms um but anyways I mean yeah like I think there's so many factors like the hormones like the postpartum depression the I was still really new at Cedars and then also just figuring out how to like breast pump or breastfeed oh it took me a while to figure like to figure it out and literally you're like on survival mode honestly and you're just you know like the baby was still waking up at you know like once a night and yeah. you know you're sleep deprived you're sleep yeah. deprived yeah it's it's uh yeah I'm not gonna lie it's it was really really hard for me like I you know and I just you know, I, I think that the things that probably like helped me, like I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of, like, I did some yoga, some meditation. Like those are things that I fell back on. Those are my like survival skills, right? For me, yeah. everyone has a different like survival kit for them. That was my survival kit. And I know that there are groups out there, but it was the pandemic and it was really hard to find like a group of people or a yeah, I, I mean, just like get to your network, right? Because I think that's right. also really isolating is, I mean, I think everybody dealt with 
some of this whole isolation thing in the pandemic, right? But I think just adding all those layers on was just very challenging. And it was only really towards the end of it that I was able to really talk about it. Because when you're in it, you don't know. And people are like, are you fine? And you're just like, what are you going to say? Yeah. Like, oh, I like sat down in the corner of my bathroom, like in the middle of the night, just crying. My gosh, Mary, thank you so much for opening up. And you know, like when you're a surgeon, you are used to being in control too, right? Like you're used to being in control. You're used yeah. to having all the answers. And all of a sudden you, it, like you're not in control and it's hard to even recognize. I just can't imagine what that must've felt like. It must've felt really scary. Yeah. It's, it's like such a, yeah, it's like such a, like alone feeling that you have. And like, it's also, yeah, it's like very, it really takes you off your guard. Like yeah. I think, cause we're so used to being like high functioning people and strong women and like used to doing so many things and juggling so many things. Right. And yes, we, I mean, I love doing all these things, but at the same time, that was really just, I don't know. It just affects you in a way that I think you just don't have necessarily control over. And I mm-hmm. think I definitely have a new perspective and insight when people tell me about like their depression or their anxiety. And I know sometimes we perceive this as like being crazy or just like, oh, that's just like off the wall. But when it happens to you, like you, like it just, all reasoning goes out the window. Like I'm a medical professional and I know like in my mind that this is depression, but like that is you. Yeah. And I mean, like, I do want to say, I mean, this like impacts like how you interact with people and stuff like I feel really bad so for my trainees because I was going through through this and I like didn't realize how you know like you know in the OR that's like where I felt like I had the most control right and that reflected in that way but it also reflected in like the way that I was teaching right I think it impacted that and and like I'm like I don't know I'm sorry I didn't like I wasn't aware and like i like I love education and I love teaching, but I felt like that really impacted how I did that. And, you know, if any of my trainings are listening, I'm like, I'm sorry. And I love you guys. And like, you know, but, um, I, yeah, like I, I didn't know, like you kind of know, but you don't know that it's happening and that that's the impact that it has on their other people. And I just don't think we talk about enough. Yeah. And I think the reason is like, you know, you're like, I'm a surgeon, like I can handle this. I've always handled everything. And I, maybe I shouldn't feel this way or I should be able to handle this because no, I don't see anybody else needing to handle this. Right. There's such a stigma. There's such a stigma, Marie. And I think it's so important that you're talking about this. And number one, you're an internationally recognized surgical educator and that will withstand time forever. And I, I just, you point out how important it is to have grace for ourselves and to have grace for others in acknowledging this and that you are like you are still an extremely strong woman right but it's just it, it's something that is completely out of your control my my question is you know when you're in it you don't even realize you're in it sometimes a lot of times was there a moment where you were like oh my god like i think i'm having postpartum depression or was it something that like someone else had brought up to you or how did you come to the realization that it was even happening? Ooh, yeah, I think I definitely realized it myself, but it's more further, like when I started feeling a little bit better, that's yeah. when I was like, oh, cause you notice the difference 
yeah on how you feel when you actually feel better and when yeah because you're just like oh this must be normal this is just postpartum stuff and you just like go on you're like oh yeah I have these feelings it's probably my hormones and I'm just probably just tired like you make up a lot of excuses and it's only when you start kind of turning the corner feeling better that you're like oh wait like this is what it means to feel better that means like I'm doing something totally like that you know I'm in a totally different space and I was like oh that space is not the normal space. It's not no. normal to feel this way. But you convinced yourself so much like, you know, no, everybody goes through this. Like I'm a mom, I'm just sleep deprived, I'm breastfeeding, like going back to work. These are all normal feelings. And, you know, I, yeah, like, and, you know, I think that I also say sorry to my husband because <laughs> he had the grunt of all of the, most of this. Love you, Alex. He's like, why do you even <laughs> care about this right now? I'm like, no, but I do. But then I'm like, oh yeah, like in a normal day, I wouldn't actually, yeah. that wouldn't even phase me, right. you know. And you know, our jobs are pretty stressful. And when you're going through something like postpartum depression, or just I think depression in general, yeah, your ability to cope and to um, take a step back and to be less reactive is just so much less mm-hmm. when you add on another layer of stress. Um, and I think that's you know, like looking back and reflecting, that's definitely what was happening is like, I just, you're scope, you're spending a lot of energy Mm -hmm. to kind of figure out what's going on and feeling that like anything on top of that is just another layer of like, you just don't have the space to, to just deal Mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. The capacity, right? Like we're stretched so thin at baseline, even without the, without an infant at home, that we just don't have that cushion. And you put an infant into the mix, especially a, f- a firstborn, like you said, like it's hard to know what's going on. So I just, I can't thank you enough for bringing this to the forefront and being transparent about it. It's so important, Mireille. And so many people are going through this too. And I, I truly think that you will change people's lives and trajectory by saying this out loud. I just, I can't thank you enough for those words. And I just have to say like, you know, for anybody who's going through this or think they might be going through this or sees someone going through this, like, I, I mean, it's okay. Like you're, it's not, it's not going to change you as a human being, like of who you are and of your career and of what you do or, you know, just the core of you. Um, it is like a physiologic thing that does happen. And if anyone wants to call me, you can always call me or email me or text me about this because I totally feel you. So like now every time you'll see like anytime my friends have babies, I'm like checking on them, like, how are you doing? Like, and it's not just yeah. about like, I know people ask you how you're doing, but I think it's helpful for the person going through it to have specific questions. Like, like I remember my friends asking like, Hey, how are you sleeping? How much sleep are you actually getting? And yeah. like, tell me about like, what's going on with the breastfeeding or like, you know, just specific things that helps draw this stuff out. Because when you ask someone, like, how are you doing? It's, um, no one's going to be like, yeah, I have postpartum depression. And I feel horrible. No. Right? No, um, no one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, and honestly, like, yes, some of like the stuff that I did for myself was helpful for me. But I did also reach out like a lot of people, you know, I just want people to think about these things. So I did reach out to our like employee health, 
um, assistance program, which we have. And I think a lot of institutions have this where they have like someone that you can talk to or a therapist. And that really helped. I think for a long time, I didn't want to do that because I was like, no, I'm like, strong. I can do this myself. Um, but that really helped me get over like just the corner, right? Yeah. Like really pushed me over to be like, okay, I'm going to be right. in, a, in a good space. And I think there's lots of stigma around that. Like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a weakness. This like, you know, you feel really vulnerable, but like you got to do what you need to do to help yourself. And it has nothing to do with strength or, nope. or your personality or you as a human being. It's like, sometimes we do need help. <laughs> like for sure. Oh, we, we really can't do it all. No, build your tribe. Exactly right. Build your tribe. And I think those resources are really important. And I also love the toolbox that you talked about. Like everyone's toolbox is different for you, right? Yoga and meditation and journaling is your toolbox. And so building that early, I think can make a big difference after as well. Yeah. And then just, I warned my husband, I'm like, Hey, like, so just so you know, like before, Yes. Before the baby, I'm like, just so you know, like postpartum depression is a real thing. And I was like, I'm not gonna, like, I told him, even me knowing this, like, hey, yeah. like, I, you know, like, I'm probably not gonna know if I'm like in this, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's just, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. That's you a good know. idea too, though, is telling people around you that you love to look out for it because when you're in it, you may not recognize it. Yeah. And just talking to somebody, like, just anybody, like, like, I, don't think that I knew how much of an impact it would be for me to kind of come to awareness because yeah. I had several friends who had gone through it. And like, I remember like she lives in like freaking Bali and she like, Hey, she's like, Hey, I just want to like talk with you for a second. And she talked to me and she talked to me about her experience about postpartum depression and how hard that was for her. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like at the time it didn't really click to me, but then now I'm like, so appreciative yeah. of that conversation. And then one of my best friends, she also went through postpartum depression as well. And she's this amazing person, amazing mom. And I had no idea, no wow. idea. You could never, you can't tell. And um, she was just telling me how sad she was and she couldn't remember those times that she spent with her baby because yeah. she was so depressed. And I think just, it may not be that you know what to say or what to do, but I think just sharing and talking about it is like so important because in those moments you feel really alone. But when someone shares it and you're like, oh, I like love this person. This person is like an amazing person, but they went through it too. And honestly, most of the time it's like you just feel love. Yeah. Wow. Like I'm hearing, I'm hearing you just being like, just be present with people, right? Like just, just be present with people. And it's, can be difficult to bring up and you may not know the right words to say, but just being present and curious and giving them love can go just exponentially far. Yep. <laughs> I love you. I want to hug you. I get to see you this weekend, right? Do I get to hug you this weekend? I know, this weekend at SGS. <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> I know. But um, yeah, this is always hard for me to talk about. So, I mean, I just hope that this just helps other people figure it yes. out or know that you're loved and you're alone yes. and there's no judgment. <laughs> None. No, it's nothing to do with strength or resilience or coping. None of those things. Just like you said, it's physiologic and we yeah. need to break the stigma. 
And, yeah. and this just goes back to like what you were saying before, just with like diversity and inclusion and all these like unconscious bias and stigmas. Like we just need to bring them to the forefront and talk about the hard stuff. Like that's how we make real change. And you're one of the strongest people I know, truly. Like getting on a platform like this and speaking your truth is so difficult and it, it's going to mean so much to our listeners. I just can't thank you enough. Yeah. And well, I mean, I just thank you for giving me this platform. And, you know, I'm really, really grateful for like all of the people that were along the way, like my friends, family, like my parents, like, like my friends, you, and also mm -hmm. just my, just my work. So I just like, I just needed to give a shout out to my, to like our work environment, because this is what it means to have like a supportive place of work. Because I remembered when I shared this with where I worked they actually were like, oh, okay, like, what do you think is going to work in your schedule? Like, how do we work with you wow. to help to help you, right? So like, I was able to change my template so that I had an hour in the morning, an hour in the afternoon, break time between patients to pump or to eat, right? And then, um, and then they moved my aura time to a later time in the day, like later in the morning, slightly later so that I could pump and do baby wow. stuff, right? And so this is what I mean by a place that provides support and research, uh, resources for faculty rather than it being punitive or something that you can't talk about or ashamed about or judging you. They like work with what you need and it's a really big institution. So I really like appreciated like being listened to and coming out with solutions because sometimes I was like, oh, I can start later. I had no idea. Yes. I was right. just like, I'm just going with my like, you know, 7.15, 7.30 start because that's what we always done. And I thought that was like a rule. And they're like, no, no, we can change it. And I'm like, really? I mean, honestly, Amazing. that was like the best thing like possible. Like, because I could not like make it to like sometimes like just right on time, you know? And so that really helped me like integrate my life into work. Yes. So yes. I'm super appreciative and I, I like, you know, I think that all places should be like this. And, and also just saying like, sometimes it's good to like, just tell people what's going on and people will understand. I mean, people are human beings and, and if they don't, then maybe you're not in the right place. So true. Shout out to Cedar Sinai. You guys are killing it out there. And that just, I mean, that just goes on both ends, right? If you are a leader somewhere, like having this lens that why is it so cookie cutter sometimes, right? Like meeting people where they are, this isn't forever. And I just loved your words that like, this isn't changing who you are as a person. You know, I think that just resonated really deeply that it's something that's, that is going to pass with help and yeah, finding, finding your tribe, really important. As I wait the snot off my face <laughs> <laughs> and you still look beautiful thank god, thank god it's a podcast you can't see my face right now <laughs> oh my god i love you so much i just can't thank you enough for doing this with me thank you friend yes so, thank you so important okay girlfriend you've got patience to see oh my gosh you've got patience to see I so know. Thank you for your time. You. We will for sure have you back soon. And I cannot wait to squeeze your face in three days at the beautiful San Antonio SGS. Yes, I'm so excited. All right, sending love to all of you and to you, Kara. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Bye. And that is all for this episode of Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed. Join us next episode for more expert insights and perspectives. 
From all of us at the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the featured clinicians and do not necessarily reflect the views of CMR Surgical or included advertisers or sponsors.